Welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. The Dark Shard, Part 2. The Eldridge lay in dry dock, entombed beneath Southwark Park for three quarters of a decade lit on all sides by huge, power-hungry amber lights. Its once grey paint was grimy and peeling, variations in colour showing where parts of it had been removed. Almost everything of interest had been stripped from the ship in the last twenty years, down to the copper wiring in the conduits. As he walked along the gantry that ran around the room, Colbert shifted his gaze to the small hospital that had been set up on the foredeck, where the last of the crew spent their days. He passed over the small bridge that led down onto the deck and made his way towards the small metal structure. Even through the rubber soles of his shoes, he could feel the strange vibration that constantly ran through the structure of the ship, the echoing resonance of the vessel's cataclysmic appearance in this dimension. Colbert pushed open the swing door and smiled at the duty nurse, who looked up in surprise. She was a matronly woman of about fifty, knitting needles frozen halfway through a chunky scarf. Good evening, Sister Marjorie. I've come to see the men. Colbert, my goodness, the nurse said. How long has it been since we last saw you? Too long, Marge, too long. He stood to one side as she put her knitting down on the desk and manoeuvred herself out of the chair. Has there been much change? You always ask, Colbert. So good of you. She took a white coat off a nearby hook and passed it to Colbert, then pushed open the door that led into the ward. No, no change. They're very much the same, day in and day out. Sometimes someone comes to talk to them, but honestly, it's been so long. You and I both know the truth. They're just marking time now. Careful, Marge. Nadine has eyes and ears everywhere. The nurse waved one pudgy hand. Oh, Pooh, there's no one down here that cares. Particularly not you, not now. You know, then, that I've left the company. Colbert looked back, but there was no physical presence to explain the chill that ran down his spine. His chest tightened, heart feeling as though it may hammer its way through his ribs. I, I know. You've finally done what you've been threatening all these years. The guard doesn't. He's got the misfortune to be just out of earshot from me. But he'll know soon. You'll tell him? She nodded sadly as they walked past the dozens of empty beds that lined the echoing ward. That I will. You're a good friend, Colbert. But I've got my own to look out for. I'm sorry. Give me twenty minutes with them, Marge. Better yet, get away yourself. They're turning it on tonight. And we don't know what will happen. Not for sure. Marge stood to the side and gestured towards the last few beds, the ones that were occupied. I can give you ten minutes, Colbert. No more. Without another word, she turned and walked back up the centre of the room. Colbert looked around. A small steam engine, one of the silent models, sat in the centre of the room, putting out enough heat that he began to sweat just looking at it. 
A small pile of glassy fragments, vitrified coal, sat on top of the engine, ready to be tossed in. On each side were two beds, each containing a man. They were festooned with glass bottles and thin tubes, their old faces looking out from pillows that made them seem even more shrunken. In five long strides, Colbert moved over to the nearest bed. Its occupant was old, apparently kept alive only by whatever was in the bottles. His skin was like leather in texture, but as pale as the white hair that crowned his head and seemed to blend into the pillows. The little naval insignia, so like the Imperial Navy crest in Colbert's own world, was pinned to the collar of his hospital gown with an almost childish stubbornness. The old man's gummy eyes opened, focusing slowly. What? he said, then licked his dry lips. What's the date? October the 16th. The year, I meant, boy. Still 2015. Uh, the old man's eyes closed. I still ain't giving you nothing. Listen, Colbert sat on the edge of the bed. I'm not here to torture you. I'm not with them anymore. And I'm sorry for what it's worth. But I need to hear your story again. One more time just to be sure that what I've done is the right thing. Mm. Lionel B. Kinnock, Lieutenant, Junior Grade, Service Number 254267. Colbert shook his head. Please, I must know. Is there any more to the story, to what happened in Philadelphia? He looked back down the ward, but there was no movement, nothing to suggest his time was running out. Kinnock had closed his eyes, but he began to speak, voice creaking like a rusty hinge. We were assigned to the Eldridge and told to monitor everything. Found out later that we was a part of an experiment. Lab rats, to see if they could make things invisible. Turns out they'd invented teleporting or something. Moved us from place to place, but not just on the same earth. One of your people said we moved in dimensions, whatever they are. There was a green light, that's all I know. And then screaming, people shouting, smoke pouring out. Whole ship went sideways. We'd half landed in a building, half in the Thames. Some of the boys, they was mad, shouting and screaming. Some of them. His voice tailed off and he let out a strangled cough. Some of them were sort of half-joined to the ship itself, fused into it like. We didn't know nothing, but your lot put us in chains, trying to get to some truth beyond what I'm telling you. He coughed and turned his head to one side to let a little dribble of phlegm escape his lips. This, this is the whole truth. Been down here now for all these years. It was fine at first. We was treated well then tortured, came in waves, then we were forgotten. Now? His gaze detached itself from Colbert and travelled blindly around the room, taking in the walls, the beds, the bars on the windows. This is no life, none that I'd choose. 
Colbert looked down so that he didn't have to meet Kinnock's eyes. When I started work on the Shard project, its purpose was to make contact with your people and establish a beachhead. Your ship brought such advanced technology with it, like electrostatics, something we're still only just getting to grips with. We reverse-engineered what we could. He sighed and closed his eyes tightly. But when the Emperor took over, he saw you as a threat. He visited us once, before he took power. Didn't seem like the kind to listen much. The Emperor thinks your people have even more advanced tech now. If they had ships like yours in the forties, what would it be like now? Has space been conquered? Are poverty and disease as endemic as they are here? Colbert squeezed his hand into a futile fist on the bedsheet. Our readings have told us there's a building of similar size and shape there in your version of London. When our shard is turned on, the two will come together and one will annihilate the other. The death toll from that alone would be astronomical. Nadine will be in there, overseeing her moment of triumph. The Emperor, too. Colbert looked down to see that the old sailor's eyes were closed, his breathing shallow. Gently, so as not to wake the man, Colbert stood up. Why did you come down here? The old sailor said, eyes still closed. To make sure that what I've done is right. And the sad thing is... I'll probably never know for sure. What have you done? There was a commotion down at the other end of the ward, and then the swing door burst open. Three men in black suits, snub-nosed guns out, were marching up the centre of the ward. Colbert watched them coming. Something terrible. Two of the men had their guns pointed at the ground, but the third's was raised, aimed directly at Colbert's head. Colbert Harris, hands behind your head. Kneel. Colbert complied, closing his eyes. Nadine sent you, I'd imagine. Even as he spoke, a part of him marvelled at how calm his voice was. Shut up. One of the other agents pulled out a small wax recording disky and keyed it into action, then nodded. Record begins. Arresting agent Giles Port in the Eldridge Hospital cabin. Subject is Colbert Harris, most recently Chief Imperial Engineer for the crimes of treachery against the imperial throne, threat to national security, and failure to perform that which is expected of you in the line of duty, you are hereby sentenced to death. Do you have any last words? So this is how it ends, Colbert thought. His mind flickered over his life, images of homes kept warm by his inventions, of the hundreds of tiny bright points of light he had brought into the world. Regret gnawed at him, filling the otherwise empty space inside him where a loving family should be. He nodded. Yes. What time is it? The agent with the recorder turned his wrist slightly to look at his watch. 7pm. Ah. Right on time. The agent's finger tightened on the trigger as a low rumble suffused the room. There was a brilliant green light, and then everything went black. It took some hours before the smoke had cleared enough to evaluate the damage. By the time Francis, Colbert's assistant, made his way through the police cordon, the air was breathable again, 
and the first firefighters were taking off their apparatus. He ran up to one of them. Are there any survivors? Nadine was in the shard when it... But at the expression on the man's face, Francis tailed off. He walked to the edge of the immense pit that had once been Southwark Park and stared down into insanity. The bones of London had been laid bare, layers of soil and stone simply vaporised as they tried to contain the intense energies. Below, in the subterranean dry dock, the remains of the USS Eldridge and the top third of the shard lay, fused together, girders coiled around with wire threading in and out of deck plates like plant shoots through a pavement, unmoving and as silent as the grave. If you've got some writing you would like to see featured on Pocket Fiction, please get in touch with me through the website, stevecookfiction.com.